Anyone excited to be at church today? Man, so good to be in the house of the Lord today with you all. And uh, I have a couple like things I want to do before I get into the talk, okay? Uh, the first thing is, is something that's really cool that's special is, uh, you know, you look at these baptism videos we had. There was that boy up there. I don't know how old he was, but let's say he was, you know, 10 or 11. Uh, that's the year that I got baptized. And what's really special today is the man that baptized me is here in the room. And um, I haven't seen him in 30 years because uh, he moved away to pastor in other states. Uh, but he, uh, so Pastor David Hay is here in the room. And uh, I just told him, he just prayed over me uh, before I got to, you know, before the service started. And I let him know, I said, you know, sir, I, you know, I really don't know you. But what I do know is that you cared about a church. So Calvary Baptist Church over there on Joy Road there is where I grew up. And uh, what I do know is that you cared about the next generation and you cared about your leaders investing and loving the next generation. And I'm one of the seeds of the fruit that that stuck. And so I just wanted to honor you. I know all glory to God, but thank you for your service. 50 years of being a pastor, 50 years. Um, so super special to have you in the house today, and I, I'm going to put you on the spot, so I'm so sorry. Um, but you prayed over me, but I was just sitting there, and I'm like, I just want you to pray over our church. Um, we're a church that's just a bunch of imperfect people striving to move towards God. And, uh, man, we just want to keep doing that, and we want a spirit of revival and, and his power to just keep moving through this place. And so would you just pray for our church family? Would you mind just saying just a blessing over our church? You can sit or you can stand. Thank you, sir. Pastor David Hay, thank you for praying for us. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord God Almighty for whom nothing is impossible. Here we are gathered today with your people. You said you would build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know you're building this church and we just pray that it would grow not only in numbers, but in, in commitment and depth and love for you. For you have loved us first, and so we love you. Bless these people and their leaders. May they continue to glorify you and be used mightily for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, sir. Thank you, Pastor Hay. Thank you. Also, um, I also wanted to publicly thank our other elders of our church uh, for giving me, if you didn't know, I was on a 30-day break after eight years of starting this church. And um, I just wanted to publicly thank them for allowing me to do that. And uh, it was an incredible time uh, for me to just uh, hear from Jesus. Um, he was so kind in shepherding to me over the, over the time I was telling people, a lot, of, a lot of Jesus and a lot of Jen. That's my wife. And, um, but, and, our, and our kids. And, but I, I, I just know that, uh, that I just wanted to say how grateful I am. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends in ministry have had to take breaks because they had a problem and they needed some time. I got to take a break to be preventative, to, to leave healthy and come back healthier. And uh, to just have a team of elders that, you know, care for me. Uh, I really appreciate that. And I'm um, so thankful, thankful for our staff. Um, I just, we just have such a great staff, and um, I'm just blessed to, you know, 
just be a part of this team. And so just wanted to say thank you. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's my homework assignments. I just wanted to, man, I just had to, just housekeeping stuff. But it's good to be here, good to be home in this church. And I just, uh, the, the future is bright. And I, I'm so excited for what God's going to continually do here in this place. So we're going through the book of John. Got your John journals. I hope you do. Um, we've got still some left. And uh, we're going through the book of John. And we call the series Perspective because uh, this is one of the perspectives of the life of Jesus through John. Now, when you think about perspective, all of us today, we can take any item and all have different perspectives of that item, right? I mean, you could hold up any item that you want, and all of us are going to have a different perspective of what that item is or what you feel about that item. And so today, I wanted to bring out an item uh, and get all your guys' different perspectives, and I wanted you to feel the tension of the different perspectives that you might have in the room when it comes to this, to this item. So I can kind of feel the tension maybe starting to maybe bubble in the room a little bit here. Did he just open up a can of beer in church? Yes, I did. Um, Is he going to drink it? If he's not going to drink it, will he let me drink it? You know, um, so many different perspectives. Uh, You know, maybe when you think of this, you think uh, the weekend. You think no big deal. Uh, maybe you think hangover and you're like, man, uh, how did he know? And you're in the room thinking God's like really speaking to you right now or you're watching online because you are having a hangover and you're not here. Okay, that, it's really hitting home for you right now. Um, you know, maybe you think um, regret. Maybe you think embarrassment. Maybe you think um, addiction. Maybe you think recovery. Maybe you, it's, it's, it's just with, it's fun or you think pain. Or maybe for some of you, you just think death. All of us in this room staring at this thing called alcohol, we all have such a different perspective of how it has affected our lives. And I did this same opening year one of our church. And the same tension I'm feeling now is the same tension that was back then, because this is a tension that all of us have to manage in our life. It's, it's, we all have to manage the tension of what our perspective is on alcohol and how we handle this, whether you're a teenager or whether you're 80. And so it's really important for us to have a clear understanding and a perspective of how this should be used or not used in our lives. And so to help us today, we're going to be looking at John chapter 2, where Jesus turns water into? That's right. And so we're going to look at this and get some perspective. I hope that will be healthy for all of us to navigate this tension that we have to face. But before we dive into this text and drink it in, not literally, but, you know, um, I want to pray for us. And so, Heavenly Father, thank you for being the king of the universe. And thank you for being our great shepherd that cares about every detail that we face. I know people have walked into this room with some worry, with some concerns, with some pain. And you are our great shepherd. You are our great guide, and we thank you. God, get me out of the way. May your word just pop off the pages, as always, to each of us specifically. We love you, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 So, hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, I want you to grab your Bible. 
If you got that John journal, hey, if you actually do have your Bible or your John journal, would you just raise it up and just raise it up in the air? If you have a Bible in your hand, just raise it up in the air. So if you're raising it, I want you to repeat after me. If you're not raising it, I want you to repeat after me. You ready? This is not a book. This is the Word of God. It's alive. It's living. And it's a light into my path. All right, thanks. You can put it down. John chapter 2 is where we're going to be diving into. John chapter 2. And uh, as I said earlier, this is one of four uh, biographies on the life of Jesus that was written by his closest friends, his disciples. And what's really interesting is that when you think about the people that wrote these biographies, his close friends, but also family members. John was actually one of his cousins. And just imagine, we talked about this last week, imagine trying to convince one of your family members that you're the son of God, the king of the universe, right? And so again, giving some more just validity of, 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 of the truth of what we're reading. Also, uh, this was written around 85 AD, so about 40 to 50 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so, again, like, it's not like a ton of like thousands of years have gone by. It's very close to the time of when Jesus was around. And so, again, if you're a skeptic in the room, I'm so glad you're here. Keep moving towards God. Keep getting your questions answered because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's real. It's real. It's real. It's real. So John chapter 2, verse 1, it starts off like this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So Mary is there at this wedding on the third day is referring to what we talked about last week uh, when Philip and Nathaniel uh, were called to be Jesus' disciples. At this time, five of the disciples were called uh, to follow Jesus at this point. Uh, this is uh, Cana is where Nathaniel was from. And what's interesting, again, just a little fun fact, this is about just a few miles northeast of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Last week it says nothing good could come from Nazareth. Uh, this is just a few miles northeast of where Jesus grew up, showing us that this is real. <laughs> you can go to these places on the map. This isn't like a Lord of the Rings map, like fairy tale that someone made up. This is real historical stuff that actually took place. It actually happened. And so they're, they're getting prepared for a wedding that was coming. Now, you guys know weddings are a big deal, right? Right? Weddings are a big deal, right? Weddings, and, you know, and here in America, you know, like weddings are a big deal. But in the first century, they were even a bigger deal, okay? So you do not only would celebrate the wedding for a day, it was a whole week. So all you guys paying for weddings, just think about that. You're complaining about a day, you know, but think about an entire week that you had to pay for, okay? Not to mention, this is a little fun fact, in the first century, it wasn't the parents of the bride that paid for the wedding. It was the grooms. So all you fathers and mothers of the bride right now, I know some of you in the room right now that are like, oh, my goodness, how much is this going to bankrupt me? Just go to the groom's parents and be like, hey, you know, why don't we do this in the first century way and see what they say? Probably won't work, but, hey, it's worth a shot, okay? Uh, so then it goes on. It says this. It says, Jesus also was, say this with me, invited to the wedding with his disciples, which I just want to stop here and just say, invite Jesus to your wedding. Man, make sure he's there. One of the saddest things I see is going to a wedding where Jesus is not the center of the wedding. In fact, I won't do a wedding if Jesus isn't the center of the wedding. People ask me, I'm like, yeah, this just doesn't make sense for me to do it. Get the justice of, of the peace. It just doesn't make sense. But when I see couples strive to make Jesus the center of their marriage and begin their marriage with Jesus as the center. It's a game changer. 
And so I just want to encourage you, make Jesus the center of the start of your marriage. And all you married couples right now, may we strive to keep making him the center of our marriage at all times. Okay? Then here's what happens. So then the problem comes. Okay? Here we go. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus comes up to Jesus and says to him, they have no wine. This is a big problem. They have no wedding. And here's the truth, right? No matter how much you plan and try to make your wedding perfect, right, there's always something that goes wrong, right? What went wrong in your wedding? You can probably think about it, right? Some blooper that happened. I've been a part of a lot of weddings in my journey so far. And, man, I mean, from tents blowing over to losing the rings to uh, literally people in the best man speech having a little too much of this, you know what I mean? I start like bringing up like f- awkward family drama. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough one. Um, but then I saw this on the internet, and I just had to show you because this hasn't happened to me. But check out this poor pastor. Check this out. Check this out. The rings, please. Oh, oh God! No! no! Oh, oh my God! Oh my God! Like, are, you, are you kidding me? Are you okay? Oh my God! <laughs> Pastor Hay, did that ever happen to you? Okay, okay, it's like unbelievable, right? I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, I, I hope that never happens. How do you recover from that? I just, unbelievable. All right, back to the Cana wedding here, okay? Back to the Cana wedding. So there's no wine. This is a big deal. Some of you are like, yeah, that is a big deal, no wine at the wedding. This is a big deal. There was no wine. And back in that culture, it was even a bigger deal than it is in our culture if you didn't have wine. Because it would show to the parents that if you can't have wine or the wine runs out, that's showing that you can't take care of our daughter. Not only that, in the first centuries, this was actually grounds for a lawsuit. Yeah, talk about beginning the family, you know, two families combining with a lawsuit because you ran out of wine. Unbelievable. Uh, But this brings up the first point I want to talk about, the idea of like no wine. Like no wine, I'm fine. And maybe that's some of the stances where you're at in your life when it comes to the perspective of alcohol, where you've decided in your life, you know what, I'm not going to touch it. And there's two different perspectives that we can have if you are deciding to not drink alcohol at all. And here's the two perspectives. One's healthy and one's not. The first one is this, never going to touch it, but you're all a bunch of sinners who do. Okay? And then there's this one, never going to touch it, but no judgment. No judgment. Now, For many, many years, I was in the top camp. Never going to touch it, but all you are a bunch of heathens, okay? You're a bunch of heathens, especially you Christians who are drinking alcohol when you know you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. And I just, it bothered me so much when I would have Jesus follower Christian friends drinking alcohol because alcohol made me feel so uncomfortable for so many years in my life. Um, I'll get more into the reasons why. But what was happening is I was expecting everyone to follow my rules. And I, I, I started to just say, you know, I want you to, if this is my conviction, this should be your conviction as well. And so I started to elevate that conviction against other convictions because I know how bad alcohol can be and all the evil that comes with it and how it destroys and rips up families. So why would you even want to touch it? Stay away from it. But I was being a hypocrite because, for instance, like a device like this, 
there's a lot of evil that can come from this. There's a lot of evil that can come from TV and all this stuff. So get rid of it. Don't have a phone. Don't have a TV. I was elevating different products or items based on my convictions and trying to get people to follow my rules instead of God's rules, which is obviously there's a big difference and it's not healthy. I remember going to Bible school and this issue came up and I'm just like trying, I'm like, of course it's wrong. And I was like digging in the scriptures, trying to prove my point. And I realized over and over again that I could not find it in scripture where it says that you are not allowed to drink. And then I came across this passage when Jesus is turning water into wine and I didn't like it. Okay? I didn't like it. But here's the thing that it reminds me now today, so many years later, is I was trying to edit God's word to fit my comfort. And if you're taking notes, we must remember, we must be people that echo God's word instead of trying to edit God's word. In any, in any circumstance, the way that we you know, think about any issue or how the world is changing, we can't edit God's word. We have to be people that echo God's word, even when it doesn't feel right, even when it's uncomfortable for us. But don't worry, you sinners who drink. I switched, and now I'm in the healthy. No, go back. Go back. I'm in this category right here now. I never drink, but with no judgment. Now, some of you guys have asked me, and friends here in the church are like, Travis, what do you mean you don't drink? And, I, and, and, and you know, there's many different reasons, but here's, here, here's why I don't drink. Uh, you know, take it or leave it, you know, for your own life. But for me, I, I know I have an addictive personality. So, hence, if you come over to my house, there's four different espresso machines because <laughs> me and my wife love coffee. And that's why sometimes you're up here thinking I'm, like, going crazy. It's because I am. You know, I got so much caffeine in me, okay? Um, so I know I'm an addictive personality by nature. Like, once I really like something, I, I go all in. Um, the other thing is, is my family's heritage. Uh, my dad's father was an alcoholic, and there was a lot of abuse in my dad's family. Um, abused my grandma, neglected my dad, and my dad didn't have a family. Alcohol destroyed the family. And so I watched my dad reject alcohol and change the game for our family. And so for me personally, this is me personally, for me to have alcohol in my house is like slapping my dad in the face. That's just me. That's just because I watched him shift. Um, and then now that I'm a pastor and I'm, I'm a leader, I think that there's a difference between good decisions and better decisions. And I know everyone in this room views this in a different way. And so for me to just not have it, I think helps me be a better pastor to everyone that is a part of our church. Um, now, people ask me all the, all the time, well, Travis, do you think it's bad for me to drink? I think that's the wrong question. I think what you need to ask is, is it not, is it bad for me to drink? It's, is it best for you to drink? Not, is it bad for you to drink? Because the scripture doesn't say that it's bad for you to drink. But the question that you need to ask yourself is, is it best for you to drink? Only you know. Only you know where you're vulnerable when it comes to the alcohol and to the spirits. Only you know your sphere of influence and how that influences you and how it changes you or how it can control you. And the people that are closest to you know. And so it's really important to ask them. But even if you have to stop and evaluate and pause, you're like, you know, is it good for me to have this? Or, you know, that could even be the signal that maybe you shouldn't based on how it does overwhelm you or control you. Only you know. And some of you in this room, you know, even the fact that I'm even bringing this topic up today 
and how you know that it is overcoming your life and it is affecting you and your family, you know you need to stop um, based on your season of life right now and let this be a warning to you. It's not by accident you showed up today. Do something about it. Make the shift in your life to pause when it comes to alcohol if you need to. So, major problem, right? (laughs) But there's no wine. It's running out. Mary goes to Jesus, and here's what Jesus says to his mama. He says to her, woman, which, remember, woman, when he says this, in that culture was actually polite in the original language. He wasn't being mean to his mama, okay? Uh, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come, which kind of got me thinking this week. Um, For all you guys in the room, like dads and stuff, uh, this, this could be maybe one of your verses that you can use with your wife, okay? So... Hang out of here for a second, okay? So when she comes to you and says, remember how I told you to do that thing that you were supposed to do, that chore that you haven't done in like a month? Just look at her and be like, John 2-4, baby. What does this have to do with me? You know, you know, just... Now, you'll probably sleep on the couch, so it's up to you. Just kidding, but yeah, you guys have fun with that one. I thought that was funny. Um, anyways, okay. All right, back to, the, back to the word of God here. Okay. Woman, what does this have to do with me? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. Okay, so this is a shift. This is a shift that's happening in the relationship between Jesus and his mom. Letting his mom understand, listen, I'm here not on mama's business. I'm here on daddy's business. This is a big shift. But then you also have to pause, and this is interesting. You have to pause and you have to think about how Mary is doing here. You know, you got to remember, people in that time thought Mary was crazy, like a conspiracy theorist, a virgin birth. Yeah, there's the son of the carpenter. Who are you messing around with, Mary? I mean, that's how, I mean, people, not everyone believed him. She's at a wedding with friends and relatives. Think about the trash talk that was going behind Mary's back because of this whole ordeal. Oh, yeah, he's the son of God. And at this time, Jesus had not yet displayed his power publicly. So you got to imagine Mary's thinking, Okay, like at some point, he, she knows the power of her son. The moment that Jesus starts displaying his power is the moment that Mary's record will be cleared. I started to think about, like, think about after this miracle takes place, how many family members came up to Mary weeping and saying, we are so sorry, we were wrong about you, and we have trash-talked you for years. So... Um, this was a big moment for their relationship and a big moment for, for Mary. She couldn't wait for Jesus to start showing off his power. And so then they have this response. And so here's what, here's what uh, Mary says next. His mother said to the servants, to the helpers there, do whatever he tells you. And if you're taking notes, you got your John journal, I want you to just mark that in a big circle as big as you can, okay? Just mark that, circle that, do whatever he tells you. In fact, would you just say this out loud with me? Do whatever he tells you. One more time. Maybe that's all you need to hear today. You came here today, just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. It's the best every time. You can't go wrong. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Young people in the room, when it comes to your purity, don't do what the world tells you to do. Do what Jesus tells you to do and save it for your spouse. When it comes to your finances, don't do what the world tells you to do and be greedy and steal and hoard. Do what Jesus tells you to do and be generous and have integrity when it comes to your finances. 
You win every time when you do what Jesus tells you to do. Then it says, verse 6. It says, so there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. This was a standard that they would do. Each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Fill it to the brim. This is going to be a lot of water that is going to be turned into a lot of wine. That's 120, do the math, 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Fill it to the brim, baby, okay? And which brings up the next perspective I want to talk about. That's the idea of always alcohol. No big deal. Like, it's part of my life. It's just always and there's two different camps when it comes to this. It's the always but no boundaries, but the always with boundaries when it comes to alcohol. The first one obviously is not healthy. The second one is and can be healthy. Um, so maybe that's you. Now, listen, when it comes to alcohol, yes, the Bible does not say that you are not allowed to have alcohol. Uh, church history shows this too. We, we, we see biblically and historically that there's nothing wrong with wine. Historically, we see monks and pastors were brewers. Men in the church would create bridal brew for the bride. Check this out. John Calvin, a great pastor and theologian, and one of his pastoral jobs, one of the deals that he signed to be the pastor of that church included 250 gallons of wine a year. Maybe I should talk to the elders about that for me. I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> So it's this idea, you know, fill it up, take another drink. However, when there's no boundaries, it's very, very dangerous. The Bible does say in Ephesians 5.18, just to make sure, it says, do not get drunk on wine. It can ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the spirit of the living God. As we know, and as many of you have, maybe have experienced or the effects of, drunkenness leads to a lot of pain and a lot of debauchery. Drunkenness can lead to avoiding your reality or numbing the pain and not getting the help that you need. And so it's a warning. Do not be filled with the spirits, but be filled with the spirit of the living God. Without boundaries with alcohol, it is so dangerous and it can cause so much harm. You think about our country and the way that it was founded and the way that we react to alcohol. It's like it's one extreme or the next. That's why we've had such an extreme like abuse of it. And then we've had such an extreme legalism towards it. If you read through church history or just the history of America when it comes to alcohol, uh, when our country started, the stories of men just abusing alcohol like crazy, and then they were abusing their children and abusing their wives and not working, and it was causing, like, our country was falling apart because of alcohol. And so that's when the temperance movement came in, and the temperance movement came in and became so, like, the opposite, don't touch it, and they, you weren't allowed to have it. And so that's when you would hear about the bootlegging and the moonshine and all the secret stills that were going on. And, you know, it created such a, such a, just a divide. And that's why later today in the service, when you go up and take communion, you'll notice it's not wine. It's grape juice. And you want to know why we were taking grape juice today? It came from a pastor, a Methodist pastor named Thomas Welch. Thomas Welch invented Welch's grape juice. I know, isn't this crazy? It's blowing your minds, right? I know, it's crazy. Um, but he thought, we are not going to, I mean, if he was here today, he'd like leave because he would be so offended that I even opened this up on stage, and I understand. But he, um, he thought that this was the devil's liquid. 
And so we can't bring the devil's liquid into the house of the Lord. And so that's why he created the grape juice. And so denominations all across America started to switch to grape juice. Um, some because of the devil's juice, that's how they viewed it. Or others switched to grape juice because they didn't want it to be a stumbling block for people who struggled with it. And that's why we have grape juice here. Not because we think it's the devil's juice, but because we don't want it to be a stumbling block for people. Um, and so there's your little history of Thomas Welch and the grape juice, okay? Um, so it's so important for us to have boundaries. So I want to go to verse 8 and 10, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this verse when it comes to, uh, to boundaries. It says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. This is Jesus, he said. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, uh, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone, I mean, this is, this is common sense. Everyone knows, everyone who serves the good wine, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine comes up because they don't know, they don't know the difference. But it says this, but you have kept the good wine until now. Bringing, what I want to just kind of bring up is the point of the idea that there was order in a party when it came to alcohol. They would, you know, keep things and there was order and there was structure, which I think there's, it's really important for us as Jesus followers, and if you're not a Jesus follower, to have an order and a structure and a boundary and a guardrail for yourself when it comes to alcohol. And so that's why it's really important if you're going to drink to make sure that you have boundaries. We've already talked about, we know we're not supposed to get drunk, and so you can't fight that. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The importance of moderation. Uh, we need to know our limits. Um, we also need to understand that sometimes you might be like, yeah, I'm fine with alcohol. But sometimes your season of life changes, and you might need to make a shift. And maybe some of you today need, need to make a shift because maybe recently a dream has crashed, uh, a job has crashed, maybe you've lost a loved one. And so normally alcohol didn't affect you, but now alcohol is starting to affect you because of something of loss that has occurred in your life. This might be a signal that right now in this season you need to say no to alcohol and have some boundaries for yourself. The other thing is not only to have boundaries for yourself, for for. For, I can't say it, for protection, but also to have boundaries for those around you. This really disturbs me when I talk to, to Jesus followers. This, this, actually, this irritates me. When I hear people talk about alcohol and being like, well, it's no big deal. Of course, I, I have the liberty and freedom to, to drink. And they say this, it's not my problem that they have a problem with alcohol. Or it's not my problem that they had abuse that they went through. It's not my problem. And I'm looking at them, I'm like, that is the most selfish thing I've ever heard someone say. What do you mean it's not your problem? We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, strength, soul, and mind. And we're supposed to love people more than ourselves. And so God calls us to lay down our freedoms and our liberties for people that might be struggling with that. Don't just take it from me. Uh, write this down, Galatians 5.13. I'll read you just a little bit of it. It's not on the screen. But it says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so it's just a reminder for us as Jesus followers to be cautious when we crack it open. You know, to know people's story before you crack open a beer in your home with guests or before you're out to dinner with the people that you're around. Like just 
have a discernment and to know you never know what they've gone through. And um, to just have the caution that's showing love for others more than yourself. And so it's so important for us to have those boundaries. Romans 14, here's another one, just some more ammunition for you to just kind of process to make sure we're making good choices with alcohol as Jesus followers. Um, you know, do not for the sake of food, uh, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. You know, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So it is not, um, it is not good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So may we be um, Jesus followers that are willing to lay down our liberties in different circumstances and our sphere of influence and to be appropriate with that. So recap, what have we seen? What have we learned? We've got four perspectives. The ones in yellow, I think, are the healthy ones. If you're not going to drink, don't, don't be judgmental and point the finger like I used to do for many years. Don't pass judgment. If you're going to do it, have boundaries for yourself, but also for those around you. Now, last verse to end our time together. Uh, verse 11, I had to show you one more thing before we left. I had to point it out to you. Do uh, you see the Lil in Galilee? L-I-L, that's our symbol of the church. Just want to make sure you knew that. Just kidding. I've done that for eight years, okay? I always have to highlight Galilee. Um, but that's not what I wanted to, to, to tell you. I want to tell you something so important. And if you didn't hear anything today, I want you to just zoom in right here for a moment because this is the most important thing that you can ever hear in, in your life. Notice it says, the first of his signs. And after the first of his signs, when he manifested his glory, showing off his power, it says that his disciples believed in him. This was the first public miracle that then multiplied into miracle after miracle after miracle that was on display for all to see that ended with the ultimate miracle of his power that was put on display for all to see. The miracle of him holding back his power and holding back his might on the cross because he loves you and loves me so much. If you didn't know, the creator of the universe who created you loves you like you would never even, can't even fathom. He loved you so much that he gave his life for you and he died for you on the cross. And people tell me all the time, well, I didn't ask him to. You're right. But you needed him to because he died with a purpose. He died because he loved you and he wanted to save you from yourself. He wanted to save you from a problem that you have and I have that none of us can escape. And that's a sin problem. And it separates us from God. And God is the only one that can restore that relationship. And so that's why he died. And not only did he die, because if he died, then we wouldn't be here right now. Three days later, proving that he truly was God, he rose from the dead, proving that he truly is the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, Jesus Christ the only one, the way, the truth, and the life. I, uh, I can share with you so much evidence with information that this is real. 
I mean, we could sit down for hours. Historically, um, archaeologically, scientifically. But I want to focus in today on the evidence of me. I'm just a broken man. But I want you to know that I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, he gives you a gift. He fills you, not with the spirit of wine, but he fills you so full with the spirit of himself, the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit comes and fills your life. And he's filled me to the brim. And he wants to fill your life to the brim. Listen, I've tried to fill my life with the things of the world. You name it, I've tried it. All different stuff, relationships, success, the money, this, that. It always let me down. But Jesus has never let me down. Through any circumstance that I've walked through or faced, the spirit of the living God is so full. I've tasted it and I've seen that the Lord is good. Have you? Like seriously, if you've tried the world, you know it doesn't work. I don't have to convince you of that. You know it doesn't work. But if you haven't allowed him to fill you, he's knocking on your door right now. He's knocking on your heart and he's saying, just surrender and let me fill you up. What are you waiting for? So I want to give you an opportunity to be filled with Jesus today. So I'm just going to ask us to just right now just close our eyes and bow our heads. And maybe that's you today. You say, you know what, Travis, I have tried to fill myself with the world and it is just a wreck. I don't understand it all, but what I get today is that I want to be filled with Jesus. I want him to save me. I want him to forgive me. I want him to restore me. I want to be filled with him in my life. I want to taste it. So if that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to count to three. If you want to be filled with the power of Jesus in your life, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you and lead you in a relationship with him. So on the count of three, you raise your hand. One, two, three. Amen, 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 amen in the back. Amen right there in the back. I see you, my friend. I see you, buddy. I see you right here in the front. I see you over there, sir, over there on the side. I see you over there, ma'am, in the back. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit's moving. If you, if you, if you are a Jesus follower, be praying. Okay, you guys can put your hands down. I, I'm going to lead you into a real conversation. These aren't magical words. This is just to help guide you. God saves you not by anything you can do. It's not by your works, but by, it's by faith that he saves you. And so just in the quietness of your heart, just repeat this, this real prayer to, to the king of the universe. Just say, Father, I don't want to fill up on the world anymore. Tell him that. I want you to fill me up. Just say that. Fill me with your spirit.
and just say, forgive me. I know I'm a mess. Forgive me of my sin. And then with gratitude, would you just say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. And then just like this, just say, right now, I humble myself, say that, and I receive you, Jesus, to be my king, to be my Lord, to be my savior. As we continue to pray, my friend, if you meant that, you are now filled with his Holy Spirit. He's filled you to the brim with him. And now your life here on earth, and not only on earth, but now into eternity, that'll never go away. What a gift. What a gift. Father, thank you for being a God that is so caring and so shepherding to us. Thank you for filling us with your spirit and giving us the chance to taste and see that you are good. We're so grateful for that. We love you and we pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we just give it up for those who put their faith in Jesus for the first time today? Amen. Incredible. Listen, for those of you that did it and you meant that, I want to ask you to do something bold. I want you to tell someone. Uh, don't walk alone. You got to tell someone. Let, let someone know the journey. You can grab one of us. We'll be at the connect table. You can text the, uh, on the screen or tell your parents, tell your spouse, tell your friends. Let them know of this decision. This is the best decision of your life. There's literally, it says that there's an angel, there's angels in heaven having a party right now celebrating your belief and trust in Jesus.